0: Good morning, Foothills. It's great to see you all here. I don't know about you, but whenever I see those videos or when I see this backdrop with the horse and the open valley, does anybody else want to go there? Does that not sound awesome? I mean, we live in Idaho where we can kind of get to places like that. It's not too far away. I absolutely love that about this place. And it's really funny because uh, with the song Desperado, whenever you see an old Clint Eastwood cowboy movie or even just with a picture like that, it looks so good. It looks like, I look at that, and I'm like, man, I want to be there riding a horse, which I think I've ridden a horse like twice in my life, and I was like seven. Like, it's, it's been a minute. I don't really know anything about horses except that they're big, and they're powerful, and they have a thing called a horseshoe that you can play a game with. That's like all I know about horses. There's not a whole lot there, but I see a cowboy. I'm like, I could ride a horse that could be my livelihood. I could do that. could wear the, you know, all the leather and everything, the spurs. Like, I could wear a cowboy hat, even though I'm not much of a hat person. You know, I'm like, but I could do all that. That looks great. Living out on the range, it's like, I live in a house in the suburbs. Like, I'm so far away removed from that, but it still seems so interesting. I don't know if anybody else ever thinks that. They look at that, they're like, wow, I want to do that. That looks awesome. It looks like there's adventure there. It looks like there's just this freedom and there's this great piece of it that seems exciting and fun. But I think that's kind of like who we are. And especially as guys, you know, we've been talking about men in this series. What does it mean to be a man? What are we called to be as men? And that's kind of part of us, isn't it? That adventure, that idea of man, being out on that horse, being at the hat, looking cool, being out on the range. It looks so good. And we're all searching for what it really, truly means to be masculine. And we talked last week a little bit about what true masculinity is. Words like honor and character. The idea that men were made to provide, to protect, to set others up for success, to care for their family, to care for those around them to build up a society, to build up a place for people to be successful. You know, we talked about that is the core of masculinity. That is the core of what we are called to do. And I listened to that. I heard it and it sounded great. I was like, amen, that sounds awesome. Character, integrity, having that strength, being a man, you know, respecting others, being respected, respecting myself. I thought that all sounded good. And it was like, how do we get there? You know, it's kind of like when you see a picture out on the range, or you see a great mountain, or you see a picture of a beautiful city in another country, you're like, that seems really cool to be there, but I am not there and I don't have any way to get there. Like, I don't want this to be something where we look at these essences of what it really means to be a man and we say, ah, that sounds great, but how do I get there? What does it really mean to be that? Can I just wake up one day and be like, oh, I feel like a pretty masculine macho man today, I'm done doesn't work that way, does it? When it comes to finding out and acting and behaving like a true man, there is a path that we have to walk. And it's a path that we have to walk and we have to make decisions about to follow it every single day. It's something that we must continually strive for, that we must continually move towards. We must never stop. That is what it means To be a man, and that is what brings us to that true masculinity. And so, what is this path? What is it that we walk? What is it that we go through? How do we follow it? We're gonna talk today about scripture. Uh, Steve mentioned we're gonna be in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was Paul, we we believe it was his last letter that he wrote. He was under house arrest in Rome. Uh, His eyesight, we think, was probably going, he may have been going blind. Uh, He was awaiting trial before the emperor and, you know, the justice system back then was not exactly like the justice system today. The justice system was, what does the emperor's think is justice? (laughs) And so he's going, he's about to go before an emperor and he's waiting for this time uh, under house arrest, just waiting to see if the emperor will decide if he's okay or not. That's, that's the only justice there is. He can plead his case and then the emperor will decide either you are, uh, you are vindicated, you have been redeemed or no, you've been Condemned. So he's in this rough spot, at least from the outside. It doesn't look like a great spot, but he writes a letter to Timothy, and he wants to bring all of his knowledge and all of his wisdom and tell Timothy what it means to follow the path of the Lord, how Timothy, who has been mentored by Paul, can follow God, who can in turn lead others to God, who can be a leader just like Paul has been. Because Timothy had followed Paul for years. He was brought to faith And he learned from him. And so as Paul is writing this letter, probably his last one, awaiting trial, growing old, having some rough cards dealt to him, Paul explains the path. And before we talk about what the details of this path are and what decisions we need to make as men to know who we are and to live a life of Christ, it's important to know one detail. Paul was walking this path despite his circumstances. And he was writing to Timothy to follow this path, who was in very, very different circumstances. A young man, a pastor of a church, not under house arrest but free, having been given leadership. They were in very different positions. But they both were on the same path to God. Because the path to Christ is not one that is exclusive. It is available for all of us. It does not matter who you are or where you are at. It is open to you. There is always the opportunity to walk it. Whether you are young or old, whether you feel like you've made good decisions or bad decisions, whether you're tall or short, whether you consider yourself an intellectual and a genius and intelligent, or you think that, you know, you're like, yeah, my intelligence is not where I make my money. It's not where I do well. Whatever you think of yourself, Whatever you think of yourself on the inside, whatever your circumstances are on the outside, the path of God, the path of Christ is open to you. The only difference is whether you choose to walk it or not. It is all on you. So what is this path? How do we walk along it? What is it that we do to follow God? What is it as men that we do specifically to follow his word and follow the path that he has laid out for us? In 2 Timothy, we're going to start in chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1, where Paul says, you then my son. See, Timothy has followed him. Timothy has been mentored by Paul. Timothy has learned from Paul. And so Paul calls him his son out of love, out of care, out of a recognition of what their relationship is. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. The first thing, Paul says, is to entrust the gospel to people who in turn can entrust it to others. And trust the word of the Lord. The gospel, the most important thing there is. The thing that Paul is currently in prison for. Entrust the gospel to reliable people who will in turn teach others. Paul is describing the process of evangelism. He's describing the process of spreading the word of God. This beautiful gift we have been given. And how does he do it? How does he say it spreads? by trusting it to people who in turn trust others, who in turn trust others. And that is why we are here today. That is why we have the words of the Lord 2,000 years later. The Bible was not canonized. It was not put together and accepted as the complete word of God until about 325 A.D. But Jesus was born before 325 A.D. And Paul was also before 325 A.D. And there were 300 years before 325 AD, of Christianity spreading. They had Scripture. They had these letters from Paul. They had these things that they could go back to. But it was more than that that spread it. It wasn't just having these words that we are so lucky to have such easy access to today. It was that people who were reliable were entrusted with the gospel. And in turn, they spread it to others. While not quite as important, manhood is still so very important. Boys becoming men, becoming leaders, becoming strong, providing and protecting, embodying what true masculinity is. It is a critical thing for a society to function, and it works the same way. It is passed on from man to boy. That boy becomes a man, and then he, in turn, passes it forward. For you men out there, If you think about who you are and the decisions you make, how influenced are those by the men who have been around you? I can name so many coaches from my sports teams. I can name some teachers and professors. I can name the men in my family who have influenced me and changed me, who I have learned from. I can still remember, I think it was uh, 15 years ago now that... I was helping one of my dad's friends. I went out to his house and I helped him rebuild his dock. He lived on a little pond and he had a little dock out there and uh, had this, you know, it was was old, it was crummy, it was falling apart, it was halfway sunk, so it wasn't a very good dock. And he was like, Zach, why don't you come over? I was like, I don't know, 12 or something. He was like, I'll pay you, come help me out and everything. I was like, okay. He's like, you get to destroy the old dock. I was like, oh, I'm in. Uh, You're giving me tools, you're paying me to destroy something, that sounds great. And so I destroy everything, I start throwing it all in the trash, and then we start building the new one. And he's all talking to me about, all right, the way we got to get this stuff, we got to have leverage. That was the day's lesson. That was the day's physics lesson for me. It was a little science lesson that day, learning about leverage, learning about how to lift stuff up and how to pry the dock open and how to move things around. And I don't know, 15 years later, it's not that big of a deal, but I still remember it. Because that man had an influence on me in my life, not just about leverage, but he's been a family friend for decades now. I've known him for years and I grew up around him and I have been influenced by him. Men, boys, boys become men through the mentorship of other men. That's why fathers are so important. It's why when a boy loses his father, it is so critically important that other strong men in his life step up. And though they cannot replace the father, they can do a pretty good job of it. They can care for that boy and they can bring him up. So the first step of this path is the question, what men are you surrounding yourself with? Think of who your friends are, the ones who influence you, the ones who are your age or senior to you, maybe at your job and your career. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's a family friend that you've known for years. Maybe it's someone you went to school with. Whatever it may be, is that man, are those men not influencing you? The first step of this path is to surround yourself with men who are already on it. are walking it themselves, because they can show you the way onto it and the way forward. That's only the first step. There is so much more. The next thing Paul says in verse 3 is, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He continues on, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Join with me in suffering. We talk about suffering. I think we have it better than most people who have ever lived. You think about the things that we have, the things that we enjoy, the wealth that we all get to share. Think about the house that you live in. Think about the car that you drive. Think about having climate control. That one's pretty awesome, right? Right? It's like 100 years ago, who had climate control? Nobody had climate control. Not even the richest people in the world had climate control. Now we all got AC units and heaters, and they are wonderful, especially when it gets really cold or really hot out, isn't it? We have so much, and we are so blessed. Yet our lives are not free of suffering, are they? Every single person in the world is suffering from something. Suffering is part of this life. Now, we know that the reason why is because we, through our sin, have brought evil into the world. We are the problem. We are the reason there is suffering. And we suffer from it. There is no escape. So when it comes to suffering, will you be a victim? Or will you be proactive? See, Paul, he talks immediately after the suffering, he says, he says the good soldier line, and he continues it. You know, a soldier, a good soldier focuses on his commanding officer. A good soldier still suffers, but why does a good soldier suffer? Because he is focused. It becomes a sacrifice. Look at the life of Paul. What was his suffering? His suffering was caused by spreading the good news. He says later in this chapter, he says, I am in chains for Christ now. He says in verse 9, or in verse, yeah, verse 9, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. He's suffering for the gospel, and he is focused on it. And when you are suffering for something greater than yourself, it's no longer just suffering. It's still suffering. It still is difficult. <laughs> it's not easy, but it becomes a sacrifice. It becomes more than just the pain that you have. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we're, not, we're not very good at finding TV shows we both like. She's into all of the uh, like uh, serial killer stuff and just like learning about these people who are really messed up. And I'm like, ugh. I was like, can we watch something happy with smiles? <laughs> uh, yeah. And so we're always trying to find a show that we can watch together. And we did find one recently, and it was awesome. They called it Special Forces. I don't know if anyone else has heard of it, but they took 16 celebrities and they took four like elite special forces soldiers who have retired. Like they had a Navy SEAL. They had an SAS operative. They had some dudes who have been through some stuff. And they're like, all right, we're going to do a 10-day special forces training course for all you celebrities out there. They had some former athletes. They had some TV stars, some musicians. And it... It was a party. It was a lot of fun. Within, I think, the first 48 hours, half of them quit. It was like no surprise. But it was a lot of fun to watch these people who, you know, think so much of themselves, think so highly of themselves, be like, oh, oh, this is, this is not it. You're waking me up at midnight to do an obstacle course? No, thank you. It was, like, it was interesting to watch. And it was, it was fun for us. And we enjoyed it. They went through some suffering. They were constantly being yelled at. By They called them their staff, their designated staff. You know, and they'd fail a challenge or something, and then the staff would just stand there and just yell at them like, why did you fail? You need to dig deeper. You need to give me more. And they're just like, yes, staff, yes, staff, yes, staff. And it was hilarious to watch. But they're going through all this suffering. And the ones who were able to handle it were the ones who saw the light at the end of the tunnel, who were like, I want to stay here. I want to go through it because I'm trying to find out who I am. I'm trying to find out what I'm here for. I'm trying to make sure that I'm not soft. It was interesting to watch because they gave all these different reasons for why they went through something that was very uncomfortable. It was not, did not look like it was an enjoyable thing. Of course, I watched it. I was like, I wonder if I could do that. My mom was like, no, don't. Just, just don't do it. But my point is that they were suffering for something some of the celebrities and the way they talked, you could see they were there just because they were like, oh, pff, I'm great. I'll be able to crush this. There are a couple of former athletes who were like, I've been through a lot. I was an athlete. And then they, they had to go through this stuff. They're like, oh gosh, this is really hard. I've never had something this hard. There was a former soccer player who has played in multiple world cups and has had an amazing career. And she was like, this is the hardest thing I've ever been through. And it's like, oh, wow won the Olympics, won the World Cup, and she said it was the hardest thing that she'd been through. Why did some of the people stay through? A couple did finish the course. They stayed the whole 10 days because they were suffering for something. They wanted to find out who they were. They wanted to see if they could hold out and make it through. What are you going to suffer for? Are you going to suffer from laziness or procrastination or being undisciplined? Are you going to suffer? Paul says, who are you living for? He says, you seek to please your commanding officer. Who is your commanding officer? Are you going to suffer for them? Paul's commanding officer is Jesus. He is following Jesus. He will not be distracted. And when he suffers, it is suffering for Christ. And so when he suffers, he buckles up. He's like, okay. It's time to make this sacrifice. It's time to go through it. It's time to push forward. He is undeterred. He is uncompromising. That is a strength that I want to have. That is a strength that to me screams power and masculinity. That no matter the obstacles, he can push through. Because he sees all of his suffering as a sacrifice and he is focused on living for God. Isn't it true that the things that are worth most in life cost the most? Maybe it is a career change that you really care about. Maybe it is having children, all the sacrifice that that is. Whatever it may be, you have to choose to sacrifice for something. And if you don't, then you will suffer for something that maybe you don't pick it, but maybe it just happens, such as being undisciplined or being irresponsible. You have to choose what you are going to live for and then sacrifice for it. One of the greatest things to do so is for your family. You follow God. He is your commanding officer and you sacrifice to care for your children to bring them up well. To ensure that they are ready to go out into the world when they become adults. I've not experienced that as a parent yet, but from what I've heard, it's quite the sacrifice. I've not heard a lot of oh, oh, it's really easy. That was a piece of cake. I've never heard parents describe it to me that way. I've heard, it's really hard. It's a lot of work. It's worth it, but it's, it's quite the big deal for that one a lot more. But is that not a worthwhile sacrifice? From what I hear it is. And so will you focus your life on God? Will you follow him? Will you let your suffering be a sacrifice for him? Or will you live for yourself? Will you live for something you like? Will you set your sights on a job? Will you set your sights on something that is not eternal? The most common option is people live for themselves. What makes them happy, what they want, what feels good to them, what is their truth? But that is not satisfactory. Because in the very next verse, Paul says similarly, an athlete... Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. If you live for yourself, you'll be allowed to live for yourself. But we have been given this wonderful book and we have been given the gospel to know that living for ourselves is not the way forward. We could call them rules, but they're not really rules because we're allowed to break them as much as we want. You're allowed to live for yourself as much as you desire. But in that selfishness, you do not become a man. You do not see the truth. You do not align with what you were made for. Think about what we talked about last week, providing protection. Are those selfish at all? Because providing isn't about providing for yourself. It's about providing for those that are important to you, that are around you, the ones you love and care for. Protection. Are we just talking about protecting yourself? Of course not. It's protecting those that you care for and those that you love. It is not a selfish action. And so if you live for yourself, these rules, these, we call them rules, we call them guidelines, we could call them whatever we want. But the basic fact is that in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. All things were made through him. God is the one who has made everything we know and we see. And so when he gives us rules or guidelines or whatever we want to call them, if we defy those, if we try to live in a different way than what he suggests, then we are unaligned with what is true. When we live for others, when we take on the mantle and the responsibility of being a true man, we become aligned with God. We feel his truth more. And the wonderful part about this, and Paul says this in verse 6, he says, likewise, the hardworking farmer is the first to receive the harvest. See, when you take on the mantle of manhood, when you truly pursue it and pursue the Lord, And you start acting in that way. You start behaving in that way. There is a ripple effect in your life. There's a ripple effect for your family, there's a ripple effect for your coworkers, for the ones who you know, even just your acquaintances. If you are married, it, is for your, it, it affects your wife. And if you have children, it affects them. It affects your parents and your brothers and sisters. It affects the ones you work with. If you are dating, if you have someone that you are dating, a significant other, it affects them. If you have not found someone yet, it affects how you date. But the first person it affects is you. When you are aligned with God. Because doing an action in this world, it's like James when he talks about faith versus deeds. He says, you know, show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith with deeds. There is something about acting in this world that proves to ourselves what we believe. And In our small group that I'm in, We've been going through the book of John and we've been doing a couple chapters a week and we did one set of chapters and we we're like, okay, so what did you notice? And then someone was like, well, Jesus said like 14 times in these three chapters, if you love me, obey my commandments. I was like, oh, well, that's probably really important if he just kept saying it over and over and over again. We talk so much about what you believe on the Salty pa- Pastor podcast that Pastor Peak does. He talks about, he says it so many times, what you believe is the most important thing about you. And I'm not going to deny that. But what I will say is how you act confirms how you believe. When you act in a way, when you behave in a way that is aligned with God, instead of just believing that he exists, instead of just believing in him, when you act in that way and move towards it, it aligns you more and more. And you learn more and more about yourself. You start to understand more and more of what it means to be a man you start to understand who you are. You start to understand what your purpose is because you are living it instead of just saying you believe it. You are the first one who is affected by this. You get the first share of the crop. And when we look at Paul, this is what we see, isn't it? We see that in Philippians, another book written while he was imprisoned, either when he was in prison in Ephesus or in this same stint where he is on house arrest in Rome. In Philippians chapter 1, he's describing what is happening to him. And in verses 12 through 14, he describes how the whole palace guard, he is in chains for Christ. And so the whole palace guard now sees why he is in chains. It is not for any wrong he has done It is not for any mistruth that he has spoken, any unjustness that he has perpetuated. No, it is not for that. He is in chains for Christ. The whole palace guard knows this because he tells them. And then he says, it has strengthened the confidence of the brothers and sisters. It has strengthened those who have already heard the gospel to know that though he is unjustly imprisoned, he still spreads the gospel. That is an amazing ripple effect. As Paul walks this path and continues to spread the word because he takes on the suffering as a sacrifice, it ripples out and it affects those around him. And it is good. But when we look at Paul and what he writes, I think it affects him even more. In Philippians 1.21, we talked about this in the last series. What does it say? To, live, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He is able to look death in the face and not blink. In his first letter to Timothy, in First Timothy chapter, uh, uh, sorry, not, not in this first, in 2 Timothy chapter one. So in this letter, in this one that we have been talking about in the first chapter, just a few verses before, he says the spirit of God does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That sounds pretty good to me too. The last thing he says is in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being complacent. No matter where I am, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength that to me sounds like a strong and powerful man. That to me sounds like a man that I want to be like. No fear of death. Undeterred by pain and suffering. Undistracted from your mission. Receiving the power and self-discipline and the love of God. Being able to use that and give that to others. Having a ripple effect where you provide, you protect, you spread what is good. You make this world that we, have been, we are stewards of a better place. You move it forward and closer to God. You glorify Him. That is when you know who you are. When you live in alignment with God, that is where you end up. When you walk this path, when you make those actions, when you take make those decisions, it aligns you with him. You move more towards him. And you start to understand who you really are. Are you walking that path right now? Are you surrounding yourself with good strong men who are on that path? Steve was up here talking about small groups. I've made a lot of friends through through small groups. A lot of men who are also trying to walk this path. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We make each other better. We make each other think in new ways. We learn stuff. We do stuff together. Small groups are an amazing place to practice. Being around other good men. We're also doing our men's boot camp coming up in just a month and a half. We'll go up to the mountains for a few days. We'll get into groups. We'll talk about how we can be better men. It's another great way to surround yourself with good men who are trying to walk this path. Are you focused? Are you undistracted? Are you walking towards the Lord? That's a question I can't answer, but you can. Have you made the decision to walk his path, to embrace his version of masculinity, his version of truth? Because if you want to know who you are, if you want to know why you are here, he is the only one that can answer it. So follow him. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to follow you and know you. We ask that you can help us as we walk along your path to your righteousness. Amen.